Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at montrosechurch.org. Have a great day. You worship crew, thank you guys so much. Hey, good morning, Montrose Church. My name is Colton, and I'm back, back-to-back weeks for me. It's uh, a lot of fun to be up here preaching this morning. I'm excited about uh, what God is hopefully saying to us this morning. We want to keep thinking about Pastor Dave and um, the family and be praying for, for him, and we're thinking of him this morning. We're continuing our Lent series, A Time to Heal, this morning. And this morning's message is titled, Healing Our Relationships. Healing Our Relationships. And it's part five, and we're going to be continuing in 1 Peter. And our text for this morning is 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. So we're going to have some fun diving into that this morning. And we're on this journey of Lent, right? We, maybe you're doing some fasting. We're maybe adding a few things. Um, but we're on this journey to the cross and, and Easter Sunday, right, the resurrection. We're excited that that is coming soon. It'll be here before you know it. And at Montrose Church, we've been talking about healing, healing. And this morning, like I just said, healing for our relationships. Our relationships are in need of some healing. So I want to begin with this question for you this morning. Did you play sports when you were younger? Did you play any kind of sports when you were younger? Maybe it was a, you know, t-ball or little league or maybe you swam or, or, or football um, I played a lot of sports when I was younger. I played basketball, baseball, but my favorite sport growing up was football. Loved football. And my eighth grade year, my football team, we found ourselves in the championship. We were 9-1 and one in the regular season. We had an awesome season, and we find ourselves in the championship um, against a team called the Titans. The Titans. And the name was very fitting because the Titans were just this stacked team. They hadn't lost a game of football in four years. And the only loss we had in the regular season was to the Titans. So we came into that game, right? We're at an awesome stadium in northern Colorado. It's under the lights, the turf. The atmosphere is incredible. But we don't have a whole lot of confidence because we know the Titans are the other team we're facing. They were a really good eighth grade football team. So we're warming up and getting ready for the game. We're excited to be under the lights, all those things, but not a whole lot of confidence like I was saying. And so we get done warming up and we go over to the coach and he kind of gathers us up and our coach begins with a championship pregame speech. And our coach, let me give you a little context, he was this shorter guy, so fiery, he loved the game of football, probably way too much for any eighth grade coach, but he starts in on this pregame speech, and I wrote it down um, as accurately as I can remember it, but it, it sticks in my mind just like it was yesterday. Here's what my coach said. Fellas, it's time. We worked hard all year for this moment. It's time. You grinded at practice and worked your tails off for tonight. It's time. You dominated other teams all year to get to this place. It's time. You prepared for the Titans for weeks. It's time. It's time to go out there and give it all you have. Nothing will stop you tonight. You will remember tonight for the rest of your lives. Fellas, it's time to go win a championship. And as he got done with this speech, all of the eighth grade players erupted. Ah. You know, we're so excited to go play this football game. 
and his face was just beat red, and we're jumping around excited, ready to go. And so the game starts, and we actually get the ball first, and I played quarterback, and my brother was on the team, and he played wide receiver. And the very first game of the play, uh, we run a play-action pass, and I throw a touchdown pass. Very first play of the game. It sets the tone, um, and then we ended up beating the Titans really bad, like 35-7 to or something. We destroyed them. It was this huge upset. And so I, I tell this story not to just relive the glory days, right? Although I love that story. It's a lot of fun. But I tell that story because the pregame speech that my coach gave, it changed everything, I think. It gave us a certain motivation that said, hey, you can do this. It's time, right? It is time to go win a championship. And when I think about our first Peter uh, 4, 7 through 11 text for this morning, I really think Peter is telling the church, hey, it's time. It is time. It's time to love others deeply. It's time to serve and be hospitable. It's time to use your gifts for the kingdom. It is time. And so I think that's what scripture is telling us this morning as the body of Christ is, hey, it's time, church. And you'll sense the urgency in Peter's words right away in verse 7. So here's the text for this morning, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. Give you a moment to, to find it there. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So Peter begins this text for this morning with this eschatological urgency. And eschatological is just kind of this long word that means the end of all things, right? He starts with this urgency. He's saying, be ready. Be ready, right? Just like my coach was saying, it is time, church. And so I want us to feel the urgency in in Peter's words this morning for us. And we believe in the second coming of Christ, absolutely as the body of Christ. That's something that we cling to. We disagree about when and how and all those different things. But that's something that we hold to as uh, Christians is the second coming of Christ. But I want us to sense the urgency that Peter gives his, the, the people back then and also us today. It is time. It's time. Do you feel the urgency? And then we live into this urgency. How do we? Okay, I sense the urgency that Peter is giving us, but what do we do? And he says it right away in verse 8. He says, above all, the most important thing, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply because love covers a multitude of sins. You kind of would expect this huge manual, right? This massive list. But note, Peter says, above all, the most important thing, love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. So the first point for this morning, I want you to write this down, is healing our division. Healing our division. So I kept thinking about that first, uh, that verse 8. Above all, love each other deeply. Okay, we sense the urgency that that Peter is writing with. But what keeps us from loving each other deeply, right? We're after healing our relationships. We're trying to heal from them. And the first thing I came to is division. 
division. The culture and the world around us is very divided. Um, choose a side politically, choose a side theologically, and don't even think about wavering, and then we are bombarded with one side or the other, right? And the church, the capital C church, is also very divided. Lifeway Research had a survey that came out a few months ago, and they were asking pastors, uh, what's the most difficult thing about pastoring right now? And the answer um, was this. They said the disunity in our congregations, right? The disunity in the members of my church. And the follow-up was why, and they said the pandemic and politics and how they handled all of it. The church is divided. And I know what you're thinking. Hey, Cole, hasn't the church always been divided? Yes. To some degree, the church has always been divided. That's why Paul writes what he writes in his letters to the church about unity. He pushes unity, Jews and Gentiles. It's such a big deal. And we see it in other scripture, and Jesus talks about it too. Jesus says this in John 17, 22 and 23. I have given them the glory that you gave me that they may be one as we are one. I in them and you in me so that they may be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. The world will know God by the way we love others. And church, do they know? Do they know? I think sometimes people look on from the outside and they say, ah, what's going on in that church? What's going on in Christianity? They were kind of supposed to be the people who loved others. They were supposed to be unified. Do they see that? We are the ones who are called to have an amazing and fierce love for each other. And do we choose unity over our differences? And I'm not talking about uniformity, right, and having every single belief the same. No, of course not. We celebrate our diversity and our differences. But I'm talking about at the end of the day, right, as Jesus followers, we must remember the most important thing is being unified in Christ and living out the calling he has for us. Dave so often says this, he says, what unites us is so much greater than what divides us. And I love that because Jesus is always greater. He is. He's so much greater than our division. And when we start to lean into those divides, we start to go to one side to the other. Jesus should always bring us back together as the body of Christ. I have a pastor friend of mine who always talks about when a new person enters into a church service, right? And it's a little bit different now, but when a new person enters into a church service, they've never been around churches or anything, they should walk in and be blown away. What's going on here? Why are these people here from, you know, different places, different backgrounds? They have some different political beliefs, all these things. How can they worship together? How can they love each other? How can they be a part of a community? And it's because of the unity that we have in Christ and the Spirit binding us together. And that's my prayer for Montrose Church, right? How do, we heal from our, how do we heal our relationships? We fight for unity in Christ. We choose love and let it cover a multitude of sins. And last week I talked about an awakened understanding. I think it was like point three of my sermon last week, an awakened understanding. And we need that this morning a new lens in which to see the world not as divided this way or that way, but to remember that all people are God's children and to see past the division and lean into Christ and how he unifies us.
Point number two, healing our dehumanization. The second thing we need to address and why we struggle with what I really think Peter is saying, loving each other deeply, is dehumanization. Dehumanization is the, is the process of depriving a person or group of positive human qualities. It's this idea of seeing people no longer as humans with value, but as something of an object. You objectify them and take away their human qualities. Um, this is a massive problem, church, and this is connected to the first point for this morning. Division, right? You could flip-flop these two. They go hand in hand. The division comes, and then we slowly start to dehumanize people. And this is a massive problem in our world, church. Dehumanization is a massive problem. It's why we have things like human trafficking, pornography, abortion, racism, right? Even recent racism and the acts of violence against our Asian brothers and sisters. Things that should never happen, but they do happen because we are dehumanizing others. And it has no place in our world, and it definitely has no place in the body of Christ. We forget that every person is created in the image of God and has worth and value. And for us this morning, many times it's much more subtle than that. Much more subtle. We let our culture and our divisiveness, it slowly starts to pull us apart. Not keeping Christ at the center. Forgetting to love others and we slowly begin to dehumanize others. And it's subtle. It's subtle. We disagree with someone's beliefs, which is okay, absolutely. But then we end up writing them off and putting them into a certain camp. And then we start to, our language, right, starts to fire up. We start to say some things about these people. Idiots, stupid, I'm not going to keep going, right? The New Testament word that we're not supposed to say, raka, raka. And slowly we dehumanize other people in small and big ways. The opposite of dehumanization is Imago Dei. The opposite of dehumanization is Imago Dei. Imago Dei is this Latin theological term that just means the image of God. I love this because it just means that all of us, and we get this from Genesis, all of us have been created in the image of God and we have incredible worth and value simply because we have been created in the image of God. And so that's something we have to lean into if we're going to heal our relationships is seeing the Imago Dei within every person, remembering that they were created in the image of God. And they might not even know that, but guess what? It doesn't make it any less true. There's a short verse in John 4.4 where John says, now he had to go through Samaria. If you can flip there real quick, I want you to kind of underline this little verse. John 4.4. Now he had to go through Samaria. And he's talking about Jesus. And you're thinking, oh, no big deal. He had to go through Samaria. Huge deal. The disciples would have been like, whoa, Jesus. You can't go through Samaria, man. Where have you been? I know you're the Messiah and all, but you know Jews and Samaritans, we don't really get along. Actually, we're enemies. There's a massive divide between us, Jesus, so we can't go through Samaria. And so Jesus is making a statement by going through Samaria. He's saying, hey, guys, I don't dehumanize people like you do. I don't see people with the same lens that you see people. The Samaritans have worth and value, and they were created in the image of God. So he's making a statement. He says, we're going through Samaria. 
And you know what happens next. He encounters this Samaritan woman at the well. And Jesus shows her incredible truth, but also incredible grace and dignity. And again, the disciples would have been like blown away this whole time. What are you doing, Jesus? Like, you can't talk to that woman. We're in Samaria. What's going on? But he flips the script. And he shows us that we have to push through. We can't dehumanize anyone. So church, I'm convinced um, to heal our relationships, we have to lean into this. We have to humanize everyone. And it's much more subtle for us, I think, at times. But here's my challenge for us. I want to bring it down to ground level. When we start to write people off, even a little bit, you start to write people off, you know, why would they do that, right? That's okay to have those feelings, but then it gets further and further, and the language fires up, and it gets more angry and all those things. Right? You know what I'm talking about when it's, you start to stir deep within. You're like, oh, man, the anger, right? When that happens and we start saying some things, right, raka, idiot, those things, we would just stop. We would stop and remember that they are image bearers. They have the imago day within them. And as Jesus followers, we have to humanize everyone, even people we don't agree with, even people we have no idea what they're doing. We have to humanize them. We cannot fall into a pattern of dehumanizing people, we have to realize the Imago day. It's essential, church. It's essential. Point number three, healing our words and actions. Verse 11 says this of our text for this morning. If anyone speaks, they should do so as the one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides. So that in all things, God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. So here's the movement of this sermon, church. Healing our relationships. We fight for unity. We see people as image bearers. And then out of that flows Christ-like actions and words. That's what comes out of it. So your words matter, yes? Your words, what you say, matter. And as a newly married guy, Shaylee and I have almost been married two years, I'm continuing to learn that my words matter. They matter. And, and you know this, right, in marriage and in, in family life, at work, um, all kinds of different places. But our words carry weight. They do. And as Jesus followers, they should definitely carry weight. We can provide great encouragement, help, and joy with our words but we can also cause a lot of pain and strife with those same words, right? And this is why James says what he says in, in James 3, 3 through 10. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is itself set on fire by hell. Man, that is intense, James. That is intense. Continuing with verse 7. All the kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and sea creatures are being tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. 
It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Bing, bing, bing. Amago Dei, right? God's image. I want to read that one verse again there, verse 9. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth comes praising and cursing. Brothers and sisters, this should not be. And in, in verse 11 of our text for this morning, Peter says, Speak as if you are speaking the very words of God. So James writes some intense words, right? About how our tongues and our words are important. They matter. And as Jesus followers, they should matter so much. And that's why Peter says, speak. Every time you speak, it's as if you are speaking the very words of God. Man, wouldn't that change the way we speak to people? Wouldn't that change how we speak to people, church? I think it would. And then I want to say something quickly about social media here. It feels like we're always talking about social media a little bit, but me being a high school pastor, I'm always talking to our young people about social media. We cannot disconnect our, our words and, right, and, and how we need to tame our words and mind our words from our social media. You cannot separate the two. Sometimes I think we can hide behind our keyboards and stuff, and it's like, oh, it's not really us. But no. If you are a Jesus follower, you are a Jesus follower on social media, Right? So we need to mind our words and what we produce and say on social media as well. Um, and church, this is crazy, but I really do believe this, is that when people come into contact with you, you have an encounter with somebody wherever you go and you're talking with them, they should know that you know Jesus, right? And they may not know explicitly, like, oh, this, this person goes to Montrose Church, they're a Christian. No, but they should see something different about the way you treat them a kindness, a patience, a forgiveness, right? Some grace. And it's hard, right? It's hard. We get tired. You know, the days are long, and our patience wears thin with people, but, but it doesn't matter. The calling is still there to mind our tongues and be examples of Jesus wherever we go with every conversation we have. Our words matter. Our words matter. And finally, out of fighting for unity and realizing Imago Day, we serve and use our actions for the kingdom. We show hospitality and use our gifts for others. Because we know that living for Jesus cannot just be something in our heads. It has to be more than that. It has to be lived out with our physical bodies. And we want to talk about gifts a little bit here because verse 10 talks about gifts and then verse 11 again picks up on that. Peter says this, use whatever gift you have been given to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in various forms. I love that. Whatever gift you have been given. Church, you've been given a gift. And some of y'all have been given a ton of gifts. You know, those gifted people. But we all have different gifts and we are called to use those gifts for the kingdom. And what Peter says is every time you use those gifts for the kingdom, it's as if you are extending God's grace. And as a pastor, I want to say this is, church, we need your gifts in the body of Christ, whatever they look like. 
right? These musicians up here, I, want, I love these guys and, and gals, and, and, and they're up here, and you're using their gifts for the kingdom, and we celebrate that, right? And we have some great servants at Montrose Church who use their gifts for the kingdom, and we want to keep doing that. It's important to be good stewards of our gifts. John Wesley says this about serving. One of the principal rules of religion is to lose no occasion of serving God. And since he is invisible to our eyes, we are to serve him in our neighbor, which he receives as if done to himself in person, standing visibly before us. We serve God by serving each other. Not just letting Christianity and following Jesus be something in our heads, but letting it flow out of us. And the beautiful thing about what Peter says in all this church is at the end he says that God will give us the strength. It's that last little bit of encouragement. And I want to tell us all that this morning. God will give us the strength to live into his calling he has for us. He will. The spirit is working among us to accomplish amazing things. And so we have to be open to it. Just like my pre-game speech that my coach gave so long ago, it's time. It's time, church. It is time. I want to invite the band back up. Um, It's time to heal our relationships, church. And how do we heal our relationships? We fight for unity in Christ. We see people as God's children, every single person. The Imago Dei is within them. And then out of that, every time we encounter someone, right, our words, they carry weight. And our gifts, we use them for the kingdom and we're faithful stewards of them. It's the calling, church. It's the calling. It's time to heal our relationships. It's time for the church to really lean into what God has for us in this season and continue pushing forward. Fighting for unity, realizing the Imago Day within every person, and having Christ-like actions and words that flow from that. Let me pray for us, and then we'll get out of here. God, thank you for this morning. Thanks for just this quick sermon about unity and healing our relationships and, and realizing that we need to humanize everyone. We have to realize the Imago Day within every person, God. God, I pray that you would just be with every listener, every person tuning in. I'm thankful they joined us this morning, and whether they're here right now live or whether they'll watch it later in the week, God, would you surround them with your goodness, God? with your peace, with your presence. And God, help us be a church that is unified in Christ. Help us heal our relationships and really lean into what you would have for us in this season, God. We love you so much, Jesus. Thank you for this time. In your precious name we pray, amen, amen. Thanks for joining us at the Montrose Church Podcast. For more information, please visit us at www.montrosechurch.org. Have a great day.